This is the Arc of Change with Donzel Leggett, a podcast from the Anti-Racism Commitment Coalition, an organization dedicated to eradicating racism and hate and spreading anti-racism. Listen as Donzel talks about the relevant topics that will inspire you and help build your capability to take action and change the world. Because none of us are doing enough as long as racism still exists. And now, here's your host, Donzel Leggett. Hello and welcome to the ninth episode of Season 2 of The Arc of Change with Donzel Leggett. In this episode, we commemorate National Hispanic Heritage Month with the second and final part of a two-part series by welcoming ARC board member and very close friend Carlos Caballero to share his lived experience as a Hispanic immigrant in the U.S., as well as his deep global perspective with powerful, insightful stories and his experiences in standing up, speaking out, and taking action to spread anti-racism that will both challenge and inspire you to do the same. Now let's get started with our show. So I am Donzo Leggett, host of the Arc of Change podcast and founder of the Anti-Racism Commitment Coalition, or ARC. Our vision at ARC is to build a racism-free world. And our mission is to provide inspiration, education, and support for you to transform, practice, and spread anti-racism. This begins with our three-step process for personally transforming to anti-racism. The first step is erasing your ignorance about racism and hate. The second step is educating yourself about anti-racism. And the third step is all about building the character and confidence to stand up, speak out, and take action to spread anti-racism and anti-hate and make positive change happen. So this episode is part two and the final part of our two-part series honoring and commemorating National Hispanic Heritage Month in the United States, which began on September 15th, 2022 and ends on October 15th, 2022. National Hispanic Heritage Month was created to celebrate the histories, cultures, and contributions of American citizens whose ancestors came from Spain, Mexico, the Caribbean, and Central and South America. It was also intended to help increase awareness and appreciation of Hispanic and Latino Americans and their contributions with the overall American population, as well as to drive greater community and pride within the Hispanic community. All of this was intended to increase understanding and awareness of the contributions made to help reduce and ultimately eliminate racism and discrimination against those in the Latino community. Unfortunately, as I mentioned in part one, 54 years since National Hispanic Heritage Month was born, many in the Hispanic and Latino community still face significant racism, discrimination, bias, and hate. And as I mentioned also on episode eight, not only from non-Hispanics, but most notably from within the Hispanic and Latino community as well. Yes, in the United States, studies have shown that Hispanics and Latinos face as much racism and discrimination from within their own community as they do from non-Hispanics. And this bias and racism most often is based on these three factors in order. First, colorism or discriminate against people based on the darkness of their skin. Second, country of origin, discriminating or looking down on people based on their country of origin or where they're from. And assimilation, the extent at which Hispanics assimilate to American culture, or more specifically, white American culture or not, and discriminated against them for doing so or for not doing so. Although, These studies are very specific to the United States. There is no reason to think that this same type of racism and bias does not exist outside the United States. It does. It exists in the Latina community in Central and South America. It exists in the Latino community in Europe. Outside the U.S. and abroad, assimilation and country of origin are not as significant. 
But colorism continues to be a major driver of racism and bias outside the United States within the Latino community. Whether, again, you're in Latin America, whether that's Central or South America or the Caribbean, or again, believe it or not, in Europe. These are complex issues to understand, but it's very important that we do the work to understand them, to be able to stand up, speak out, and take action during, but most importantly, after Hispanic Heritage Month. So over these two special episodes, we have strived to explore these issues, to understand them in more detail. To do this, we welcomed two special guests to provide us with really strong insight from their personal experiences and their perspective on why it's so important to spread anti-racism in the Hispanic community, now more than ever, and what we must do to make that happen right now. In part one, published on September 21st, 2022, our special guest was ARC member Leslie Rodriguez. Leslie shared her experiences growing up and coming of age in the United States as a first-generation immigrant. She also provided her views on what needs to change both inside and outside the Hispanic and Latino community to start spreading anti-racism right now. If you have not listened to the episode with Leslie, please check it out. Episode 8, it's fantastic. But today's episode will be just as fantastic. I anticipate it to be very inspirational. Because in this episode, the second and final part of our two-part series, our special guest is ARC board member and my very close friend, Carlos Caballero, who came to the United States in the 1980s as a college student from Honduras in Central America. Carlos is an outstanding and outspoken leader who is who has lived experiences as a Hispanic immigrant coming to the United States, knowing really nothing about the country, about the culture. He didn't even speak a word of English. He also has lived, traveled, or worked literally all over the world since then. Whether it's Central America, South America, North America, the Caribbean, Europe, Asia, Australia, Carlos has been there, led there, worked there, experienced life there. And he can provide a very unique and deep global perspective. And Carlos has powerful and insightful stories of his experiences in standing up, speaking out, and taking action to spread anti-racism globally that will move you, challenge you, and yes, inspire you to do the same. Carlos Caballero is next. The Arc of Change podcast is brought to you by the Anti-Racism Commitment Coalition. Visit us at joinarcc.org to learn more about Arc and join our movement. All right, welcome back to the Arc of Change with Donzo Leggett. And I'm here with a very, very special guest. Now, this is, again, part of our part two of our interview honoring National Hispanic Heritage Month here in the United States. Uh, our first interview was with Leslie Rodriguez uh, that aired uh, late uh, or mid-September. Uh, this is part two, and this is with one of my very best friends. He's like a brother, mi hermano, Carlos Caballero. And Carlos uh, was one of the very first people to volunteer and join ARC. Um, he joined our board of directors and he has helped provide great strategic direction for us. Carlos also is co-producer with Leslie and a few others on our ARC of Change deep dive talk show, which I mentioned last episode as well. If you have not watched the deep dive, please check it out. Visit us on joinarc.org. That's J-O-I-N-A-R-C-C.org. And you can access through our uh, Take Action drop-down menu. You can check out in videos. There's past shows. You can also check in on events for when the next big deep dive event will occur. Uh, so I'm so excited to have Carlos on the show. He has got 
just incredible stories, perspective, and information to share on our topic today. So, Carlos, welcome to the Arc of Change. Muchas gracias, Danzel. You made me so humble by those words, you know. Mi hermano, you know, he bound those relationships, you know, he bound those that we had common values, and certainly now we are bound together in the ever, uh, ever, ever need of fight uh, racism across the across the world, you know. So thanks so much for the invitation, especially in this uh, what is called the Heritage Spanish Month in, in the United States. So it's always a good uh, time to uh, sit back and reflect where we are around events, you know. But the sad part is that events come to us and remind us every day that we still have a long way to go yes. in the fight against immigration across the world. And one of the, re the things that, you know, as I was preparing for, for having this conversation, um, I'm now living in, in Barcelona, Spain, you know, the, the hometown of my wife. Yes. And there was an, uh, uh, an event here that reminded me, you know, that we're racing shows everywhere. You know, and 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 it probably will touch many Latin Americans as they hear this conversation, or even the, uh, people that like football, yes. or like in the United States of soccer. It was a, a big derby. They call it derby. They call it like the rivalry uh, games. You know, between this team, the two famous teams from Madrid, the capital city, uh, capital of Spain, one Real Madrid, and the other Atlético de Madrid. Yes. Before the game, you know, there was a there was a lot of argument in the press about one young player from Brazil. His name is Vinicius. He's a fantastic player. You know, he scored the last goal from Real Madrid to win their 14th European Cup. Wow! It's the only team that has 14 times. He's a fantastic player. Reminds a lot of people about the great Pelé because the way he plays, you know, with a super joy for the game, you know, uh, what we call regate in Spanish, yeah. which is dribbling. Yeah. So he has this persona that uh, reflects happiness for the sport. Yeah. Every time he scores, he does a little samba dance. Ah, okay. Well, <laughs> it was uh, one of these shows, a TV commentator in Spain of a famous show, starts saying that this is provocation, lack of respect against the adversaries. And one of the, he went to say that this player should go back to his country, but not only that, he was acting like a monkey. Vinicius, uh, you know, a Brazilian or African descent. So it's a black Brazilian. Yes. So what you saw in the press was a lot of people in favor of Vinicius. And as a matter of fact, there was a big campaign saying, keep dancing, Vinicius, keep dancing. The Real Madrid team said, we're going to start legal actions against people attacking anybody against racism or players. Great. But then the game, the day of the game, you know, there were hundreds of people of the other team chanting, Vinicius, you're a monkey. Oh, wow. So it's in the Spanish news in the conversation because no matter where we think we are, racism exists. There's people that still need to be educated. There's people that we need to fight it. And that's the conversation is very interesting because some of the same excuses that we have here when people see racism are the same. It's only a few bad apples. It doesn't mean that way. It's an expression that we use in the country. But the reality, this is hateful, racist speech. But I was, I was really, uh, in a way, encouraged because, like I said, there was a big campaign of hashtag Vinicius Keep Dancing. You know, there was a big reaction by the team to take legal action. And that's what they were saying in the press today. It's not enough to point out that they're doing this, that the other team cannot control their own fans, that the fans can have the right to chant whatever. What they say is, in Spain, we have a law against hate and racism, and we should apply it to all these people. Yes. So don't stand back. Don't just be sympathetic, poor Vinicius, but you know, do something about it. So even as I came to that conversation, you know, this story, which is not a story because it's something that Vinicius is fighting, you know, and he fought it fantastically. He fought it said, I'm going to keep dancing. Yes. And he gave a fantastic pass to score. So he played marvelous. 
And that's one way to fight uh, racism. Let's not become victims, but stand up and make things better. And be proud of who you are. Keep dancing. Keep playing. Keep having joy. They cannot win. So that's what uh, is, this story reminds me as we came in. You know, I had other things to talk about it. But it also reminded me when I, I grew up, you know, and the story at first I'll tell you, because this story sometimes brings you memories. You know, yes. Some are good, some are bad. All of them make us stronger. And one of those memories, you know, I immigrated, my first time I immigrated was to the United States. I'm a, a proud Honduran. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I went to study in Texas, you know, with the sacrifice of my family. I went to study in Texas. And um, and this, and this part was learning English. I didn't spoke any English when I came to the United States. That was part of my education. Was this yeah. like 1980 or 81? Just just for perspective, about when was this? Yeah, in the 70s, in the 80s, back in the 80s. So, so you know, at that time, you know, uh, the United States was for me. I didn't know much. You know, I was still a young person and knew some things about American history. You know, uh, certainly I know some of the uh, press in the United States. You know, the United States has a big influence on Latin America, for yes. sure. Mm-hmm. Some good, some terrible, right. some, some really bad. you know, in our countries. But anyways, the United States, I would have seen with, uh, with some, uh, um, because of the Constitution, you know, it's an inspiring Constitution. All men are created equal. All men should be treated equal. So the values were always attracted to me when I first came in. You know, without knowing the country. Yes. But I do remember that when I came in, I started studying in Texas and learning English. For uh, you know, you start hearing things, and one thing that I first I noticed is that was the first place where they asked me about my race. You know, I needed to to, to write down what my race was. Wow. And to me, the beginning, I didn't understand why was the reason behind it. I didn't understand the story, discrimination, the United States that enacted laws to hopefully protect people against discrimination. Is that the purpose of asking people for their race in all type of forms? Yes. From applying to school, to applying for a, a, lo- a loan, to applying for renting a place. But that was my first realization. Oh, this is something different. They're asking me about my race now. Yes. They're where I come from. You know, I thought the Americans were one country, everybody was equal. Yeah. Well, that was the first myth that disappeared immediately, you know? Yeah. But it also reminded me that that's also was part of, in, even when I came from Latin America, you know, we do still have racism in our countries, you know? But it's, it's different, you know? A lot has to do with the color of people. You're more wise, so you can claim that you have ancestors that came from Europe, from immigration from Spain or Italy, yeah. or social status, you know, social status and money counts in Latin America. So maybe you are my caller, which I'm, I'm, a, I'm mestizo, or you call mestizo, you know, it, it's, uh, but if you have money in education, a lot of people will give you a different treatment if you're uh, poor and uneducated. Okay. That's big in Latin is social status. But one thing that I remember, you know, we had a, a soccer league, a football league uh, for the university, and we played different teams. And in my team, there was a lot of Hondurans, we had people from other Latin American countries, and we have some friends that were German. It was a really good team. <laughs> so we played this other team made out of mostly South American players. And I remember the game got heated, you know, <laughs> the referee was not controlling the game. So uh, it was a small altercation with other players from the other team. And this team were Bolivian, but they were white Bolivian, white. Okay. Because later I found out, you know, that uh, their last name was uh, German. So they probably came from German immigrants, which they immigrated a lot to a lot of Latin American countries, yes. and especially as their world. Yep. And when we were fighting for the ball, when I faced this person, his insult to me was, no, you're a, it was not about you're a dirty player, or you're a bad player, or you're a slow player. No, his insult was, you are an Indian, Indio. Wow. Because that was, was a insult. I was, I was brown. Yes. You can tell, you know, even from more countries, from Latin America, those 
the scene of racism, the stain of racism still goes. Because he said it, no, because we both spoke Spanish. Right. You know, we both were international students in school. But he said it in a way that he thought, because that's what he thought, that by using Indio, he was going to hurt me. Yes. So he was trying to use that language that racist is to hurt you. Yes. You know, so that's so that, that the story of Vinicius, of this same football player, took me back to that day. Yes. Know? Took me back to that day that it made me reflect, you know, as a young person, as 17 years old, I was starting to see the world in different lenses. I knew from my country that there were social, economic inequalities, but then the racism that was part of the foundation of all this, I wasn't that aware until I came to the United States. Uh, okay. So that's, that's one that, that I didn't notice, you know? Yes. And then I started learning more and more. Yes. And one story that fascinated me when I was there, you know, there was another singer that maybe of the young generation, they will not know about her. Her name is Linda Rosa. You know, she's a, a, an American from California. Linda Ronstadt, you said? Famous songs, you know, probably you hear famous songs like uh, Born in the United States, yeah. you know. Um, she's a great singer. Yeah. You know, one of the greatest singers. Yes. But people doesn't know her family is Mexican, Mexican ancestors. I and did not know she that. will tell you. The, and the reason I, I, I knew her is because she was opening an act. You know, that was after I graduated from university. I started my first work in one factory in, down in El Paso, Texas. Yeah. And she came in a concert, but it was not a concert about pop or rock music. It was a concert called Canciones de Mi Padre. Wow. And it was songs honoring the heritage of her parents, grandparents, coming from Mexicans in California. But what she said to me, it told me a lot more about this history of, of this struggle to be, got, to be known as Americans, no matter what their heritage is or what language they use. Because she said that she really in American California schools didn't allow them to speak Spanish or to learn in Spanish. Wow. You know, that was considered second class citizens. And then these songs, these beautiful songs that were passed to her by her grandfathers, her uncles, around the house, you know, nobody would have forbid what you think in your house. Right. <laughs> so when she said, that's how he learned, you know. But again, she didn't, uh, spoke Spanish. She just learned to sing these beautiful songs because of that. So that tells you, you know, that the struggle we see in all our, uh, as uh, Hispanics or Latinos or Latinx is real. You know, it's that struggle between identities. Yes. Are we Americans? Well, people will see you American just because different color or because you don't speak English as your first language, or they will trust you because your heritage is Mexican. Yes. So when do you become American also became another of my thinking about when I was being educated in the United States. So that's those kind of things I saw. So you see all those pieces, you know, that the, the Hispanic community struggle is colorism, you know, people different colors, you're more white, you're less brown, you know, those kind of things, you're black. Yep. Because in Latin America, you know, Honduras is a country that has a, a strong uh, African descent population called Warifonas. Yes. So and I remember even again going back to soccer. So Taiwan is soccer. In one game, you know, they told us that uh, ah, those Honduras are Africans. Because when you see our team, yeah, it's people like my color brown, but also a lot of people of African descent. Well, yeah. they're Honduras. Yeah. So colorism is everywhere. It's in Latin America, it's in even in, within the Hispanic community in the United States. So that's, I saw that as a, and I see that today as a stroll that within the community, but also outside the community. And it's something that, again, us as a community, first we need to understand how do we first record, you know, we stand up, we talk about that, we locate ourselves, because then we can be better agents for change. Yes. If we don't change ourselves first, myself, then it's hard to, to speak with any uh, you know, value to other people. But I saw that, you know, I, so it, it, it was incredible, you know. And again, it took me back to one of the stories of my dad. You know, my dad was um, 
uh, a sport broadcaster of football, but also was the president of the Honduras Federation. Yeah. And when he went to play back for the elimination against uh, El Salvador to go to Mexico to, for the World Cup in Mexico City in 1970, okay, uh, in Mexico, you know, there was a, a, a lot of confrontation between Honduras and El Salvador for many political reasons. But at that time, believe it or not, in the 50s, El Salvador had laws to forbid immigration from black people to the country. Yeah, in fact, I, I was doing some research in many Central and South American countries did that around that time. They, they forbid uh, uh, immigration from if you were black, if you were a black Jamaican or Haitian or somewhere, something, they stopped them and actually were recruiting more Europeans to come to kind of whiten right. the nation. So I did read yeah, about that. They, they were not the only ones. No, the only ones. But it tells you, you know, and then my father told me, you know. Yeah. How many of the insults, the hate, or some fans were against the Honduras players that were black, uh, black color? Yes. You know, that to some point, you know, how do we protect them? Because they were being, you know, basically uh, there was a lot of violence uh, that there was potentially violence against them in these games. You know, so all those kind of things, you know, I think it, it make a big impression on me, and today make a big impression. So our life is a woman of many things. And if you're aware and you listen and you stop, that's when we start to understand. Yeah. Who are we? How do people see us? How do we see other people? You know, what stereotype we do use against other people, even within our own community. So those are one of the things that, that I do remember when, when I came in, you know. And then certainly when you talk about people of color, I'm going to tell you a story. You know, my wife is an European, you know, she's yes. from Spain. Yes. So she's, she's a white uh, brunette, yes. you know, so uh, it was my, you know, after working in a factory in Texas, I was asked to, to my third big promotion. And I went to Minneapolis, Minnesota to headquarters, fixed big promotion. I was so happy, you know, so proud, my own family, I had two daughters, you know, uh, and we moved. So now we needed to buy a, a new car, you know, in yes. Minneapolis, you know, I heard about Minneapolis and Oh, it's a very progressive city. Okay, let's go there. Let's let's figure out. So I tell you, this story will tell you everything about the stereotypes, about people using color to make decisions. Yes. So we went to a dealership. I will not use the name of the dealership because you know we're in your program. But I I knew the the and I didn't buy any brand of this car after this incident. Okay. So we went to see this car because my wife liked this brand. Yes. Yeah. So we went to a showroom, and it was a big showroom, and we kind of separated. You know, she was looking at this uh, kind of sedan type of uh, minivans, I was looking at other type of cars. And then there are uh, shop uh, salespersons in this big place. So I approached one, that person seemed not interesting on me, you know, it being a little busy, but being, I wasn't probably a, her ideal customer, you know, <laughs> Latino, and a brand color. So I asked him, you know, hey, excuse me, can, can you help me? We're looking for a car. I said, yeah. well, you know, okay, what car do you like? I said, well, I like this uh, uh, sedan, and, and can we test it? You know, because we heard that you can test a car. You can use a license, you can go and Give test. your drive license, and <laughs> you, can, you can drive the test, test drive the car. That's right. <laughs> uh, he, he told me, oh. That's the only car, it's the, the one in the showroom. I cannot take it out of here. Sorry. Oh, okay. So, so but what about luck? Then, from the other side, my wife, again, reminds me. Your wife, who, you, you're brown. She's uh, lighter skinned because she's European. Accent, still no perfect accent. That's right. But she comes from the side, but she's a white person. Yes. With another salesperson. Hey, Carlos, we're going to go and test drive this car. <laughs> the same car. Yeah. Same exact car. They the same car, same, same lot. Wow. <laughs> so I knew what was happening, but then we stopped. Yeah. And me always say, you know what? We know what's happening. Yes. This discrimination. I don't know what's in the heart of this person, but this action talk about discrimination either by color, by race, or because he perceived me as an immigrant. I don't know. Yep. Pure discrimination. And most likely, I think it's because of color. Yeah. So uh, there was another dealership in the other side of their competitors. So we went there, we bought the, another car, and I parked it in this dealership where they rejected me. 
So you drove back to the other dealership, parked the car, so they can see the car. I even bought it that day. I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't make the best deal, but I was upset. But I said, I'm going to take an action. I'm going to make it with power I have today, which yes. is the power of money. Yes. So we need to take an action. And I was there. I explained to their manager. They show up while I was parked there and all this. I explained. Your salesman acted this way. And this is the reason I bought it from the competition. I'm sitting here to, to figure out what you're going to do. He apologized. And because at the end, he also knew I was working for a big company because they give us like a big credit when we move, you know? Yes. They give us big credit for cars, big credit for houses, free approvals. So I said, well, you have an option to make. I make my decision not to invest in a place where there's no clear policy that you need to treat everybody right, no matter how they look, but their color, you know? So that's what I mentioned. So you, the move is in your format, what you're gonna do about salesperson like this. And that was a long time ago. That so that was back in the in the nineties, you know. So this is not new to me. No. It's just what the part that, despite the progress, like I said, that I have seen, we still finding the same issues. But I think the Hispanics, uh, the message to Hispanic community, to me, is that first, you know, we need to recognize that even within our community, we have stereotypes. Even within the community, we still not recognize, you know, that that we are races against other people yes. that we need to grow up that we need to accept the the and, and be part of the solution and i tell you the last story about soccer because this is another one you know it was a soccer, a soccer game and i'm watching this with family you know all latin americans so you're watching the game there was one player from our team but he was of black color yes he missed the ball. He didn't score. He, he really did a terrible play. Yeah. Well, everybody in the stadium, including family, was in, uh, kind of saying, insulting that person by saying, black, terrible. Yeah. So they were using the black name first. Right. And I told him, that's, that's, so, so if the player is white, you're going to say, white, bad one? Right. No, you don't want to use that. You're using black because you, you are using that as a way to, um, tell people that they are less than us. Yes. They are telling people that's a bad thing to be black. That's right. So we had a big argument because they were telling me, no, Carlos, you know, Latin America, we don't have that. You know, it's just an expression. I said, it's not an expression because you could have been saying, you know, you are a terrible player. Yes. Without need to use the black first because you will not do that to somebody brown or my color, to somebody of white color. So that's education. But again, as you know, comfortable, you know, because this is my family. I know who they are. You know, I know how they are good people. I love them. Yes. But still, you need to have that conversation. You have to have you know? that conversation. <laughs> so, so today I talk about, a lot about soccer, <laughs> but it's because it tells you the stories that we see all every day, you know, that people that we sometimes are guilty of, of not either acting that way or not recognizing that happening or don't want it to recognize it but the other one don't do anything about it just let it go because it was easy you know it was my family okay let it get it go and i'm gonna have an argument tonight let's go and have some more beer and, and some good sopa de caracol or something like that you know? <laughs> <laughs> but it's it, it cannot be let go because then we become part of the problem you know but it can be done in a way coming out of love kind of medication because when we talk to, to my family, then they said, yeah, I think you're right. You know, we understand now what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that's great, Carl. And the thing I love about the stories that you're telling is in every one of them, you are talked about what was done to stand up, to speak out and to take action. Because that, that's the only thing that's going to change uh, these racist yes. beliefs and these hateful beliefs is for someone to confront. There's different ways to confront. You don't have to always confront in an aggressive way, like you with your family. But you still took the opportunity, even with them, to confront them in a loving way, but to challenge them and to make sure they understood that what they were saying was wrong and was perpetuating racism. And that's what so many of our listeners really need to understand. So thank you for telling us these stories, but immediately saying, here's what I did. I drove the car back to that dealership. That, that, that racially profiled me. And I talked to the manager about the lost sale 
it made sure you understood, hey, you got an opportunity because there's other people yeah. I know and they've got money and I can tell them that this is a dealership to avoid or I can tell them to give you another chance depending on your response to me. So, I mean, I just thought right. that with the stories you're telling, it's, it's really right on point for what we're all about with ARC. Exactly. I think that's what the ARC is all about. You know, is that, is that moving from, you're saying, I'm not a racist, to really be anti-racist. Because, like I said, you know, when you, even, even today when I was listening to the Spanish media talk about this incident of Vinicius, yeah. what people were, a lot of people said, we're not, we're not racist in Spain. I said, no, we're not all of the racist. But those are those people that are racist. Yes. They're, they're jumping this. And there's a law, like, you know, that one person that I spoke, there's a, there's a law that we have in the rules. We just need to have the courage to apply it. Exactly. To bring it in, yes. to make the change. Yes. So, because the Spanish law already recognized that. And I think that's one of the things, you know, through my different assignments, because I had the, the, as I said, the, the blessing, the luck to, to be assigned to multiple countries during my career, yes. you know, with over 33 years of professional career, that I was able to see how every country, uh, well, learn a little bit, because you cannot become a master of everything or, or you know everything, but you see things, you know, yes. different countries that could make a difference in, in, in the fight against anti-racism, you know? And one of those assignments, Daniel, was in a country that, you know, suffered recently in the recent history, one of the most atrocious system of racism there is, you know, yes. the apartheid system in South Africa. Yes. That ended with the with Mandela coming out of prison, becoming the first selected black South African, you know, becoming a, 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 the rainbow nation of South Africa. And I was assigned there back in 2000, I think 2004. Mm -hmm. So the country was still going through a lot of the pains of this new democracy, of this tremendous change of apartheid, you know, where people were, you know, you are black uh, South African, you had the rights. Even in your country, you were treated less than a person. Yes. You couldn't drink their own, and sitting in the same benches, drinking the water, the different system of education. So we, we, I think we, we know about the apartheid government. So the so I was there observing this big change, you know, and see how people were trying, you know, dealing with this new change, you know. Now by law, everybody's equal under the law, you know, and certainly a lot of laws were put in place to try to to fix a lot of the, the systematic issues of apartheid, you know, the education systems, the ownership of property systems. So the society was still going through a lot of struggles, you know, trying to understand their way, you know, but it's, and it was a tipping point, you know, with South Africa resource, because still be a democracy, will still live to the values that Mandela wants to create this rainbow nation, what will happen here? So it was very interesting to see. But one thing that it caught my attention was a commission that was uh, sponsored by Nelson Mandela shared by Desmond Tutu. So you're talking about two Nobel Prize uh, laureates right incredible. there. Yeah, know? incredible. So grew up in the same area, so went to come from each other, these two courageous, tremendous leaders. So he asked Desmond Tutu to share the commission called the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which is a commission, you know, that, like the name said, it was designed through this um, process to bring people to tell these stories, to find ways to make compensation for the victims, to repent. But everything started with the truth. The truth. That's what the first name of the commission was, the truth. You know, what really happened here? What is the really impacts, what with damage, violence was done during apartheid government? From there, and if people want to change, and, and I said that they had done wrong, but I want to change, there was a process for amnesty, for reconciliation between parties. Not perfect as a, as a social first experiment, but I tell you, I think it was crucial that many people recognize that today you will not have a democratic South Africa if you don't have a, a, a social process like the true reconciliation. 
Right. So which brings me to mind, you know, this is what we need to have in all our countries, yes. in all our histories. And especially what I saw and I see today in the United States yes. is the lack of focusing first on the truth. Mm-hmm. What is the truth? You know, what are really the the laws, the system, you know, first recognizing what the damage of slavery did first to black South Africans, to millions and millions of lives for years and years, even today, but also is tell that story yes. because then if we tell the story, then we can make sure that we will find ways to make us better, not to repeat the story. But what I see a lot, especially in, in countries like the United States, is how do we don't tell the story? Well, let me tell a different story. <laughs> you know, the civil war to me, when I learned in Texas was like that. Yes. You know, it was a civil state rights. And when you challenge professors, they say, well, what about this every part? No, no, that's second. <laughs> First is the state rights. <laughs> so it's the lack of, of the telling the story. Exactly. That I think it's going to continue to hold back for societies of going to reconciliation. Correct. It's going to be hard. We don't start there. And of course, you know, we're going backwards. I just read, I mean, we're going backwards right now with some of these governors like in Texas and in Florida and others yeah. who are trying to actually take the truth even out of the schools. They don't. They, they don't yeah. want this. They don't want to talk about racism. They don't want to talk about LGBTQ. It's they've made it. The teachers can't 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 even talk about the truth, which is unbelievable and sad. It's, it's sad, and I think that's what's going to hold us back. You know, that's, let's start with the truth. You know, going back to Vinicius. No, this is not about player dancing. Right. This is not because he dances and he, he looks like a monkey. No, you were using those terms subtly because you knew. You wanted to use a racist term for that person to yeah. denigrate him, to humiliate that person, to even bring violence because that was happening. You know, he, he incited all this crowd to come and chant this uh, horrible slogan. Right. So the truth is first, and from there we can discuss what do we fix, how do we fix it, how do we reconcile. That's right. I think that's one of the big lessons uh, I came to South Africa. You know, and and through all these struggles, and I saw. The, uh, uh, a country that for sure suffered tremendous violence for generations. So not easy at that time, in 2004 to 2008 when I was there. But I do so hope, you know, because one picture that still is in my mind is I went to this uh, place of so, uh, uh, restaurant and imagine that picture that today, that day. There were people sitting at different tables. There was a, a table only white South Africans, there were a table only black South Africans, there were a table of South Africans from coming from India. There was a lot of Indian origin South Africans yeah. who came from with British when they come to, to Africa. Yeah. And so they were kind of in the same place, but they were kind of separate. They didn't see that many people meet, you yeah. know? But if you were back not that year, 2004, that picture was not even there. It would only be white South Africans in wow. that so there's progress. There's progress. But then when I get a restaurant with my wife and my young teenage daughters, then you see the hope. There were tons of kids, you know, in the mall, black, white kids holding hands, listening to music, yeah. singing, dancing, laughing, going to the movies. That's the hope of a, of a free country, of a free nation. Yes. So you see these pictures and it brings you hope, you know. Because that probably that's a picture that during apartheid you will never seen it, and at the beginning you you know you can not still see it, but that's it's right. changing and it takes time, but it takes courage and it takes all of us to do it. You know, big leaders like Mandela, that's right. But, you know, just regular person like all of us, that's right. Really change. And there are a number of people that would say, yeah, but South Africa still isn't great. They have a lot of corruption. They got a lot of problems. Well, yeah, they do. But the country really is only about thirty years old. Uh, because exactly. the, the country they had before was not really a country. It was a dictatorship based on, uh, you know, a, a segregation and an unjust system right. to subjugate the majority of the population um, and, and, right. and make them into, you know, second class citizens, not even human in some cases, to your point. Yeah. So really, when that was changed, it's only been 30 years. So when you talk about your years. point, we're like, I, I remember, so I remember the, the pictures of South Africa. I remember Mandela being in prison. So when you think about what it was in the 1980s uh, and early 90s, 
to the fact that it changed and where it is now and the progress that's been made, yeah, it's not perfect, but many of the countries we're comparing it to are countries that have been around for 300, 400, 500 years. And they're not perfect yes. either, like you just said in Spain. It's a country that's been around yeah. for 500 years. It's not perfect. So the great, it's well, great perfect. to see the progress over such a short period of time in South Africa. Thanks for that perspective. That's great. And I think that what I see is progress, you know, because like I said, in Spain, they had laws against hateful acts. Racism is considered a crime. Yes. You know, just like Brazil is considered a crime. So I think those are countries that they recognize where the, the really where the, that racism is a crime, but it's hard to change from things in a, in a book to action. First, because it's about the society itself, about yes. issue of us. Yes. So that's what ARC is a transformation of individuals. It doesn't, if you don't, we don't start that, it's hard to compare as a society. Yes. But at least those societies themselves had that as, as a part of their uh, system of laws, you know, yes. versus when I go to United States, you know, that to me, when I was there, you know, it, it was really, I think you see it more like in your face. You know, racism is like more in your face almost every day. You know? yes. Many experiences that I saw that, you know, and the there's a big drive to to honor diversity. Yes. But it's diversity based on whose definition of diversity is. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's a, that's a challenge, and it goes back to the, the Latin ex Hispanic communities. Yeah. It's about you know who we are, who do we want to become as a community to become part of, you know, to, to be citizen of the United States, because there's people that don't consider Hispanics. First, they ask, where are you from? You know, people that have been there forever. Yes. You know, you go to El Alamo, Texas, you know, the heroes of El Alamo, the, the story about fighting in the Mexican army. Well, you read the names of the people that, that were there. You know, certainly always there. But a lot of the defenders of the Alamo have a Spanish last name, like yes. the Zavalas. Yes. That's the story. But still, people will question you, uh, where are you from? Yes. Hey, <laughs> my daughters will say, we're Texas. They were born in El Paso, Texas. Mm -hmm. You know, for sure. They have family heritage of, of Spain and Latin America, Honduras, but they are Americans. But this evening today, they, they ask that question. And probably not that much because their English, like mine, is, is, is a fluent English, you know? Yeah. yeah. But they still, people will, will, will sometimes will ask, where are you from? They have told me their stories, you know? Yes. My daughter has told me stories like that, that they have faced that. But again, it's about standing up. Yes. You know, without betraying one of them, you know, she told me she was in one of these famous universities in Massachusetts, and there was a show, a TV show, and she was watching it with friends. And most of the people here are uh, Caucasian, you know, more white uh, U.S. people. Yeah. My, my daughter was one of the few Latinas in there, you know, because it's a science. So unfortunately, we don't send enough uh, people to science, especially Latinos or Latinas to, to science degrees. Yes. And she told me we're watching this show, and it was about uh, traffickers, not traffickers, you know? <laughs> So they will start saying simple things, ah, those immigrants, you know, those guys are criminals. <laughs> they are not bringing the best of the people to the United States. And my, one of my daughters told me, but those are Latin American. That's me. Yes. That's, that's my heritage. She, spoke, she stood them, up no, and no, said something, but, but which is great. But you are educated. You know, you're not one of them. You're not one of them. them. No, I'm one, I'm one of them. So I think that's part of what we need to do. I'm one of them. I'm one we of are them. all one of them. You know, because I think that's what goes back to Mandela said. It's in our hands to create a better community for all. But to that to happen, each one of us has to use their hands. That's right. So that's the key. So I was so proud of my daughter when she told me that. You know, she stand up and say, okay, you want to be my friends? You know, don't I want this language to be stopped. It's not. I'm leaving. All right, we're going to stop our first half of the interview with Carlos Caballero right there. Please stick around. We're going to come right back with the second half of the interview. Visit us at joinarcc.org. Follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And like us on Facebook. All 
All right, we're back now with part two of our great interview with Carlos Caballero, our ARC board member and, and co-producer of the ARC Deep Dive. Carlos has provided just some outstanding perspective in the first half of the interview. Uh, Carlos, starting off now in the second half of the interview, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on within the Hispanic community in, in the United States. There seems to be um, not 100% support for immigrants that are still coming in from Latin America. Um, even though some of the folks are first generation, second generation, maybe even third generation that have been past immigrants. But uh, there's, there does seem to be a, a, a bias or a, a rejection against these immigrants. And I, you don't hear a lot of anyone outspoken about, you know, Ron DeSantis to Florida sending a busload of, of, of Latina immigrants all the way up to Martha's Vineyard. The governor of Texas did the same thing. Um, what's your view, knowing that you were a recent immigrant, you had to face a lot of challenges from outside the community. What's your thoughts on what's going on within the Hispanic community in the United States regarding this issue? Yeah, I think so. I think that's, you know, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's not a, it's a complex issue, for sure. I think there are many factors that make it complex. One is, even within Latin Americans, we are different, you know, we, even uh, the way we speak, our accents are different, you know, some of our experiences are different. But yes. you will think that coming all of us to a country like the United States, then we'll become more together as a community. And while you see aspects of that, what I see lately, there's more fragmentation about this uh, pitting groups against each other. Yes. And I think that's, that's about time. I think that's, that's a, a big political place that said, okay, if we divide, we conquer. Yes. You know, so they're trying to build communities against each other. So it's a big political issue on top, and they're using things that are important to our communities. You know, communities are, are very religious communities, most of them because our past are, are Christian, Catholic communities. So using a lot of the things that resonate within or, or, or the Catholic community of, of Hispanics, yes to try to polarize the, the Hispanic community. Yes. And the other one, you know, is what we see all the time, is that the, what the, the groups in power, for them, said, if they keep fighting within each other, it's better for the group in power. That's the way to stay in power. So they, they create this false narrative that, a second, that the new immigrants come in and gonna take jobs or gains from other people that have came here as immigrant first. Yes. So you see a lot of that. That's to me, I see that's a very designed political move, yes. especially by one of the parties in, in the United States. Yes. And, and the other one are political things, you know, like the using the old uh, communism ideas. Yes. We can find the socialist ideas, you know. So they're using things to try to make noise than to make sure that we don't come together as a, a unified community and that we forget that a lot of the gains that any of our uh, Hispanic communities are enjoying today, they were fought by the first immigrant that came before us. Let's not forget Cesar Chavez. Yes. That's a strong leader union That's that right. fought for the rights that a lot of today people benefits, you know, in, of the Hispanic community. So I think that's that's a, a problem that we have for for that division. That's a design and purpose division that create these false narratives. Because the at the end of the day, the the, the history of immigrants is that the, we make each other better. Yes, you know, we make each other stronger. And we're trying to forget that. And we're trying to forget that, you know, that at the end of the day, those people that tell you, hey, you know, those immigrants are going to take your jobs uh, in, in the Hispanic communities, what they're really telling you is, no, no, you are lucky that you have this. So close the door to the other ones. So maybe explain that other way. You know, they think that they be because they're being third or four or fifth generation Americans already, some groups are gonna consider them Americans. I can still be, tell you that these same people that are boosting people, immigrants to 
to Martha Vineyard, if they go to Mississippi, they're going to tell them, ah, you are going to push you back to, to, to Mexico yes. or to Cuba. Yes. So they are forgetting that, that there's a bigger picture to have, yes. which is the picture that all were created equal, yes. there's a country of immigrants in the United States, and that the Hispanic community has made many contributions to the United States on social justice, on, on, on fighting for, for civil rights, on getting together with other people that historically have been discriminated, you know, like uh, Martin Luther King. There was a lot of Hispanic leaders that also yes. were, were supporting and friends of Martin Luther King. Yes. They remember that Martin Luther King not only fought for, for uh, racial injustice, but also for people, uh, uh, workers' rights. Workers' rights. Because the, the fight Mr. Chavez. That's right. But all behind those rights and discrimination was because it started with race. That's right. And race is the issue. So I think for the Hispanic community, I will tell them that. And that's what I probably I link it back to what I told you about my daughter. And they are not them. Yeah. They are me. That's right. It's me. That's right. Just because you think that now, you know, we're here in this progressive city, I'm educated. I, you know, I go to a big university. No, I'm them. I'm the same person that has come as an immigrant, you know, that came to an immigrant with dreams, you know, with wanted to make their family be better, you know, a place for the kids to grow up and contribute to their society. It's just that they come in a different situation, a different status. I think we as a Hispanic community, we are doing ourselves a big damage by thinking that way. Yes. We're closing our bars to 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 others that when we can lend a hand and they forget other people lend the hands to us. That's right. Other that's people right. try the stuff. I think that's what what I see that's that's the issue. But it's being I can tell you it's being driven by design yes. to make sure that this division yes. exists. Yeah, I'm wondering that's how you know, yeah, I, I think that, that's a great perspective, Carlos. The, the leveraging religion to drive those divisions, and yeah. hey, they're going to come and take your jobs to drive those divisions. I wonder if also because many of these new immigrants that are coming from um, from uh, uh, south of the border, let's call it, and or the Caribbean, it used to be in Florida they would come mainly from Cuba. Obviously, there used to be a lot of people that come from Mexico. But now a lot of these immigrants are coming from Central America and South America. So many of those that were bused in Florida up to Martha's Vineyard, I think were Guatemalan. So I'm wondering if also is there's a, if there's back to this piece of race where as you get into Guatemala, as you get into places like Bolivia and South America, as you get into El Salvador, you're getting more, not just mestizo, but more people who look more Indian, that are more brown. Right that uh you know don't they're not as light-skinned i just wonder if sometimes it's easier to say they're not us uh you know that for the for the ones that have been here a while they look different they're not like you said it's all people when we use the word hispanic we're talking you know uh, tens of, of countries tens of 20 probably yeah. close to 100 different countries of people yeah. just because they speak the same language doesn't mean they all are have everything in common i wonder if this again this colorism or this Look, you know, historic, uh, our country wasn't supportive of their country and all these things. I wonder if that also plays somehow into this as well. Yeah, for sure. I think that, that plays a part, you know, because it's, it's the, even in Latin America, you know, Latin America has not, never has been a big, like a strong union, you know. Yeah. Unfortunately, our countries, of, or the way they develop, was also again through a colonial period. That's right. And also through these divisions, you know, so we learned to kind of fight against each other, you know. They were big, uh, some of the, the most important kind of heroes of Latin America, like Simon Bolivar or Francisco Morazan in Central America. One of the things they wanted to create the big uh, South America, you know, unify all the countries, Venezuela, yes. Colombia, under one flag, under one constitution, where at the end they didn't succeed. You know, the same Morazan, the one he wanted to do the same in Central America. So I think those divisions exist. We carry some of those uh, those divisions. But again, you know, when we come to a different, uh, a new country to become part of a new country, we should bring the the values, you know, that we Latin America brings, you know, yes. curiosity, you know, a, a, a joyful life, you know, we're very uh, creative. 
you know, those strong values should only fire versus these divisions. But like I said before, or the example I give you about the soccer, you know, yes. the way that person insulted me was not, he didn't tell me I was a dirty player or I was a bad player. He told me I was an Indian, yes. you know, so, so that already came from, uh, you know, we were both new. He was new to the United States. I was new to the United States. So that came already with a baggage. You yeah. know? So that still exists. But I think I'm more, at least my, my thinking is, this is more a political division that has been created by design okay. versus that versus really a, a color issue or that, you know, the Brazilian don't like uh, Argentinian because yeah. they're playing all the time and they each other for World Cup dominance, you know, this kind of stuff. <laughs> I think we can overcome those. We make jokes of those in Latin America. Uh, but I think what's happening in the United States has to do more with a political divide that's being um, stimulated to keep it that way, you know, to say, okay, we, that yeah. one way we also want to pay power and we're going to keep these systems in place. Yeah, it's, it's an age-old uh, game of the colonialist and imperialist. We're All a small right. number and we want to stay in power and dominate this big group of people. So how do we do that? We separate them by something. We start with color or religion or anything and make them all want to find a way to be like us, uh, be more like us. And by doing that, they'll fight against each other and be like crabs in exactly. the pulling each other down. It's the age-old tactic that imperialist and colonialist have used. It's tactic. And it continues to be successful. But it continues to be successful yes. because I think, you know, like I said, we, we have to first ourselves say, okay, what are really our true values? What are we, we value as person, as individuals, as a society? And then we can stand for that. You know, it's, it's because example that you see this person, these terrible governors pushing people, you know, stripping out of their dignity to make a political point. Yes. But if you go to the border in Texas, at the border in many places, you will see Hispanic leaders welcoming these immigrants, giving them food and clothes and a place to stay and starting them in a new life. Yes. So then that's the Hispanic community being the best. And what yes. we are. So they're still those leaders. It's, but those guys of the Santis and all these people are the people that try to drive the agenda and the wage within the community. Yes. But you go even to Miami and you find center for refugees, you find people dedicated to to help these new Americans integrate. Uh, same, you know, the Catholic Church yes. is big on that. I was in a group in the Catholic Church in, in Minneapolis that they were Part of the, the, the center was a, a refugee for, for, for immigrants, you know, to help them learn English, to, to learn them the first school, even to ride a bus or to deal with the snow, yes. you know, <laughs> what, what goes by. And that was Catholic. Because that's the end of the message, is lending the hand. So I think uh, that's what I see. I see hope despite these issues. Yes. I see, you know, uh, that the Hispanic community, even with the struggle, I think we still have a lot to say about making a better world and a better United States. That's great, Carlos. Thank you so much. I'm going to give you one last opportunity, though. If there's any message you want to leave our audience with, uh, whatever the, the if there's a key thing you want them to to remember from this uh, this great interview today, what would that be? I think what I would say to people is, you know, is let's be comfortable by being uncomfortable. This conversation about becoming anti-racist are not easy for anybody, are not easy to have it with your family, with your friends, with, you know, without your network. But it's, it's there by you going to, we, I grew up by having this conversation, by facing my own stereotypes, I continue to face those and try to be better but I learn every time. So educate yourself. And by the way, don't change, you know? A lot of people, when I was a leader in the organization, they used to tell me, Carlos, you know, they want me, they brought me because I'm Hispanic or, or Latina, and uh, they brought me to, uh, to this headquarters and corporation, but now I need, I need to be more like their picture. I yeah, told them, no. You want me to assimilate. You're gonna be valued by being yourself yes. by bringing all the Hispanic and Latinx brings that creativity, that passion, you know, that desire to help others. 
don't change. This is be yourself. And in that process, educate yourself. Keep becoming more comfortable. And when you see a calling, park your car in front of the dealership or that person <laughs> that was that racist against you. Park your car. So and for that, keep better and better. Because like I said, the reason I was able to park the car is because I had the power. Yes. The economic power to do it. So list getting better in everything that we do. Don't lose our essence as Hispanics, as Latinx. Be part of your communities, make our community better and make it anti-racist. Fantastic, Carlos. Thank you so much, my friend, my brother. Uh, I, I, I know for sure that anyone that listens to this podcast is going to be inspired, inspired to take on the challenge of becoming anti-racist and actually standing up, speaking out and taking action like you have done and continue to do to help change the world and eradicate racism. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of your afternoon, Carlos, or evening, now that you're still in Spain. You too, Anselmo. Gracias, hermano. Thanks for the opportunity. Uh, to all the art members and those listening, at the end of the day, we'll create a better world. It will take time, but if you see the struggles, where we're coming from, uh, you know, the, the fight will be won. Visit us at joinarc.org to learn more about ARC. Donate to our cause and join the movement that will change the world. To find the ARC of Change podcast with Donzo Leggett and learn more about the Anti-Racism Commitment Coalition or ARC, please visit us at joinarc.org. You can also subscribe to the ARC of Change with Donzo Leggett on your favorite podcast hosting sites. I greatly look forward to our next episode, an opportunity to inspire you to become part of the movement that will change the world by eradicating racism once and for all. Until next time, stay safe and continue to ask yourself, am I doing enough? And remember that none of us are doing enough as long as racism and hate still exist. Thanks for listening and goodbye. The Arc of Change podcast with Donzo Leggett is brought to you by the Anti-Racism Commitment Coalition. To learn more about Arc, donate to our cause and join the coalition, visit joinarcc.org. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and share this podcast to help spread our mission to change the world by ending racism once and for all. Thanks for listening. Until next time, stay safe and be inspired.